This is Movies for the Blind, Episode 208, Timetable, Part 2 of 2. You know, if I thought you were going to case my couch, I'd have uh, had soft lights and sweet music. Hello and welcome to Movies for the Blind, where you can enjoy films without looking at a screen. I'm Valerie Hunter. We continue with Timetable, and I mentioned at the end of the last episode that we're hearing one of the most recognizable voices ever in the character of Wolf, the flight charter pilot. Alan Reed will always be known as the voice of Fred Flintstone, even coming up with the catchphrase, yabba dabba doo. But he could do many different voices other than Fred's. After studying journalism at Columbia University, the native New Yorker tried local theater, and his vocal talents were soon discovered. He could perform in over 20 different foreign dialects, which made him much sought after for radio shows. He also worked on Broadway quite a bit and soon crossed over to movies and TV. Maybe his oddest role was as the Mexican revolutionary leader Pancho Villa in the film Viva Sabata with Marlon Brando. So Reed had a lot of variety in his work before settling into bedrock. His character here has just been skirting suspicion in the case of a precisely timed train robbery, which was masterminded by the man who ended up getting assigned to investigate the case for an insurance company. Charlie Norman was set to leave his wife Ruth and take off for Mexico with his new girl Linda, but something went wrong in the getaway, leaving one of the gang dead. Wolf was hired to help with the getaway, but ended up being an undertaker as well. He's dodged the driver on the job while under interrogation, so let's find out if he can stay out of harm's way in the conclusion of Timetable. Later, numbered doors are passed in a hallway, 105, 107, 109. At that door, someone knocks. The door is opened by Wolf. The cigarette falls from his mouth. What do you want? I'd just like a word with you, if you don't mind. Charlie enters. Why don't you guys leave me alone? Wolf throws the door closed. I don't like people busted in here. Cops or no cops. I'm not a cop. I'm an insurance investigator. Charlie looks around. Well, I don't need any, mister. Glancing at him. Charlie steps around to bed. And sits on it. Cozy place you've got here. Wolf takes Charlie's hat from it. Do you mind... I'm superstitious. Charlie puts the hat back on. You know, if I thought you were going to case my couch, I'd have uh, had soft lights and sweet music. Now, now I'd just like you to answer a couple of questions. Now, look, mister, why don't you go back to your insurance boss and tell him that you drew a blank? I already told you and that other guy, the, the cop, everything I know. I'm fresh out of answers. Maybe you aren't, maybe you aren't. What does that mean? Frankie Page, he seemed to know you. But it turned out he didn't, after all. You were there. Yeah. A couple of nights in jail, though, may refresh his memory. Wolf steps away, and Charlie follows. All right. You got something on your mind. What is it? Did you kill Harry Lombard? Wolf turns to him. Oh, when's the last time you saw him? Three years ago. You're lying, Wolf. Did you ever see Frankie Page before? No. Wolf, you're too sharp a poker player to run a bluff in a game like this. What's that supposed to mean? Frankie Page, you may remember. He may talk. It could mean 20 years. 
Count them, Wolf. Twenty. Lay off me, will you? You kill Harry Lombard and bury his body in Chatsworth? Leave me alone. You own a ranch in Chatsworth, don't you? Is it a crime to own real estate? No. Just so long as you don't use it as a private cemetery. I told you, I don't own nothing. Not even Paul Bruckner? No. No. Come clean, Wolf. You've been tailed since the first day of this case. Every move, every phone call, everybody you saw. Why'd you kill Harry Lombard? I didn't kill him. It was an accident. His gun went off and then Bruckner... Oh, you do know Bruckner. Wolf turns away again. You. You and Bruckner, you planned this whole thing, didn't you? No. No, it was Bruckner. He just came to me and asked me if I wanted to make some dough. How do you know you weren't Simon Pure? Well, somebody told him I used to fly wetbacks up from Mexico. Who told him? I don't know. Maybe his dame. I don't know. It was a long time ago. I, I just thought I was going to pick up some wetbacks near Winston. I, I don't know nothing about no robbery. Grinning, Charlie fingers the top button of Wolf's shirt and steps away. The DA wouldn't buy that if you were blind drunk, Wolf. 20 years. He opens the door. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wolf catches up and holds his arms. Sir Charlie closes the door. Okay. I, I was in on it. I, I knew what I was doing, but, but I didn't plan it. It was Bruckner. Bruckner was the brains. He set it up. That's who you were protecting? Sure. Sure. But no more. You lead us to him? What's in it for me? Charlie shakes his head. Wolf, there's a time to wheel and a time to deal. This isn't your time. Okay. Wolf steps to a desk with Charlie following. They ran out on me. Him and his wife. They got all the dough. I didn't get nothing. A couple of grand. Nothing. You know where they are now? Yeah, I know where they are. They were staying at my place in Chatsworth and they left sudden, so I followed them. We're at a motel in Culver City. I'll write down the address for you. You're remembering better all the time. Wolf sits at the desk and opens the door. Something else you don't know. He gets a pencil and paper. And Dame ain't no blonde. Go on. And uh, Bruckner. Bruckner took a bum rack as a medic. This gets better all the time. And you will talk to the DA. Why not? They ran out on me, didn't they? Sure, I'll talk. I'll tell him everything. As he starts to write... That's what I had to find out. Charlie reaches under his jacket. Wolf's head falls on the desk. Charlie wipes fingerprints from the pistol with a cloth. Then places the gun in Wolf's hand, curling his fingers around it. He picks up the paper Wolf was writing on, along with another piece of paper where he's written, Lombard, 114 Cala Rosarita del Flores, Tijuana. Slipping that note into his pocket, Charlie goes to the door. He opens it carefully and steps into the hall, checking around. wipes his mouth with the cloth then tucks it away under his jacket he heads off down the hallway the way he came starting to run he goes around a corner later a newspaper headline reads $500,000 robbery suspect commits suicide Joe holds the newspaper as Charlie enters their headquarters 
Papers are giving us a bad time. Have you read this one? Yeah, I, uh, I read it over a cold cup of coffee. That isn't all that's cold. He puts the paper aside. We've got a dead-end case. It's too bad. Wolf would have broken sooner or later. <laughs> he broke all right, right down the middle. Yeah. Charlie offers a cigarette. No, thanks. I never thought he was the type. In fact, I still don't. Maybe. What do you mean, maybe? You saw him, he was cocky, a tough little guy. You'd never figure him to do the Dutch. If he wasn't as tough as we figured. Charlie lights up. Yeah. Joe paces to the blackboard and considers the note pilot. Wolf had $65,000 buried in that hangar. You'd have thought he'd have had one big fling. Not shoot himself in a crummy room. Charlie joins him. Well, you never can tell what a conscience will do to a man. Can even destroy him. Yeah, and a case. I think I'll call Hendricks and have him take me off the case. He sits at the desk. Get a couple of weeks in Mexico before the... Then gets a mint. Summer's over. You might as well, before you're too old to cross the border. As of now, we're nowhere. That's what Ruth and I need. New places, new faces. Well, Joe, don't say it hasn't been fun. Charlie stands. Yeah, just, uh, just one big party. Bring me back some jumping beans. <laughs> I'll do that. As he steps away, Joe answers the phone. Hello, Armstrong. Just a minute, Charlie. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. He hangs up as Charlie returns. That was the DA's office. What do they have to say? From now on, we play it my old man's way. From here in, we're dealing with people. What do you mean by that? We've got Mr. Big, old Doc Sloan. Joe steps to the blackboard and erases the doctor note. Charlie keeps a straight face. He panicked during a routine customs inspection at Tijuana this morning. Tried to drive through the barrier. They shot him. And? He's dead. Charlie considers. Is there anyone with him? Yeah. The woman. But she got away. They found $200,000 on him. She must have the rest. Soon after, he and Joe step into a hall. Well, Charlie, looks like you're going to Mexico after all. You have another way I'd plan. Look, uh, why don't you call Hendricks before we leave? Once we get the woman, you've recovered the bulk of the money. Your job's over. So? So you and Ruth could take off from Tijuana. Not a bad idea. She could pack and meet me down there Saturday. Even if we don't pick up the woman right away, it'll give you and Ruth a chance to brush up on your Spanish. <laughs> and that's not counting the money. What money? Well, the money you'd save on plane tickets. No tax in Mexico. You'd save 60 bucks. Oh, sure. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Every little bit helps, Charlie. Good idea. I think I'll call Hendricks. He'll probably go for it. Right, you do that. Then go home and pack a clean shirt. I'll pick you up in a couple of hours, huh? Later, Charlie enters the bungalow through the front door and crosses the room with a key in his hand. Bending down to a cabinet under the record player, 
He unlocks it, then opens it. He pulls out the case Sloan had given him, then takes out another key and unlocks that. He opens the case and finds the money in small bundles. He takes one bundle and tucks it under his jacket. Then he closes the case again. He pauses, thinking. Then he stands with the case. Later at home... You should have let me pack. I could have kept all the creases in the right places. Uh, you'll have enough to do. Ruth sits on her bed. Anything special you want me to bring down, like your fishing gear? I won't be doing any fishing, Ruthie. Well, you can if you want to. I'll have plenty to do. Oh, by the way, there's a dispatch case in the back of the car, some stuff in the office. Just throw it in with the rest of the bags, will you? From the office? Yeah, some annual reports. I promised Hendricks I'd finish them up in Mexico. It'll only take me there, so... Well, he's got his nerve. Well, the important thing is he's letting us go. Sorry you're getting stuck with the packing. No, I don't mind. It'll be fun now that we're really going. He pulls on his jacket. You just throw everything in the car. I'll meet you at the border on Saturday. Oh, it's Joe. He grabs a satchel he's packed. You're right, Ruthie. Charlie. She follows him. Aren't you going to kiss me? Sure. He kisses the side of her head. Goodbye, Ruthie. Then he leaves. Later at night, Joe and Charlie pass through the Mexican border and soon after look at a map. Here, here, and here. The road south to Rosarito Beach. The road to Tecate. They're all covered. We have hopes. With an officer. You won't have any trouble. She's got $200,000 on her and she's a blonde. The money may help. She could show it to the wrong person. But I'm not sure about the blonde. He was shot before dawn. It was still dark. But when the woman ran away, one of the inspectors got a look at her. He couldn't tell much, but he was sure she was not a blonde. All of our witnesses said blonde. They saw her in a lighted corridor, not on a dark street. <laughs> well, she could have used dye. Still doesn't mean her hair was brown. He didn't say she had brown hair, Senor Norman. He really said she wasn't blonde. Well, what difference does it make? Joe steps to a desk. We still don't know what she looks like. And leans on it. All we know is that she's a woman. Blonde, brown, red or green hair. Just a woman. True, but she's a woman on the run. There's no place she could go without attracting some attention. Glancing at Charlie, Joe straightens up. Then they both leave. They step out of the Tijuana Police Department. Past a policeman taking in a suspect. I'm for a shower and a thick stink. How about you? I thought I'd stop by the airport and check on those tickets. Okay, I'll see you later. Might even buy you a beer if this window sheet can stand it. It's a deal, Joe. Let me drop you by the hotel? No, no, don't bother. The town's full of cats. Charlie walks off. Hey, don't smash up Lieutenant Castro's car. He gets into the police car, number 26. Later, he drives through town, looking around. He glances more intently around him. Spots a flashing neon sign for Bobbick's Bar, number 114. He pulls up to the side of the building, where sailors approach with their arms around women. Charlie gets out of the car and heads for the entrance. Sal 
These two men wander through the bar playing guitars. Charlie enters. Slowly walks through the room, searching among the patrons chatting. He approaches the bar, where a young woman stands in an off-the-shoulder blouse, gazing at him. Charlie takes a bar snack from a bowl, and a bartender steps up. Yes, senor. Where's Bobby? He's out. I'll wait. Suit yourself. Drink. Oh, thanks. I'll have a drink, senor. Is it uh, all right? Is it all right, Gringolit? Sure, give her a drink. The bartender pours a shot. When she reaches for the drink, he gently moves her hand away, picks up the glass, and pours it out. Be girl, give her a drink. He sets the glass upside down. You heard what he said, Mosso. Give me scotch. Taking another bottle, the bartender turns the glass right side up again and pours. Charlie pays him as she takes the glass and drinks. The bartender walks off. Charlie dips a finger in the pool of liquid on the bar and sniffs while the girl turns away. You're nice, Gringolito. I want to drink with you. He steps to her. I don't drink. Is that because you're good? Not particularly. <laughs> you are good. A good little angler with pretty brown eyes and lots of American dogs. She touches his tie. Where's Bobby? Didn't you hear the motor? He's not in. Dance with me. Where is he? Dance with me. You dance with me, I'll tell you. Oh, I, uh, I think I'll this one out. He holds out money, and she takes it. With Bobbick in his office. With Bobby in his office. He walks past her and through a curtain into the dark office, looking around. Charlie approaches a mustachioed man smoking at a desk, ignoring him. He sets his cigarette aside and looks up at his visitor, then licks his own hand. Who are you? Insults it. What do you want? I'm looking for a woman, Bobbick. He drinks a shot and licks the salt from his hand. So few women in Tijuana, you must look for one in my office. He eats a slice of lime. Get out. This is a particular kind of a woman, Bobby. What kind of woman is that? The kind that Al Wolf would have brought you. The kind that needed help. Like Lombard needed help. He takes out the address. Only he doesn't need it anymore. And drops it on the desk. Bobby reads it. Lombard. 114 Calle Rosarita del Flores, Tijuana. He reaches for a drawer, but Charlie smacks him away from it and grabs him, pulling him up. About that woman, Bobby. How did... I've known about you and Al Wolf for a long time, playing your high-class wetback game. A lot of people could use a passport away out of the country. Life can be cruel, Bobby. But it paid. It bought Wolf an airport and you a club. You're crazy. I haven't got much time. Where's the woman? Are you police? 
I wouldn't be playing around if I were. Where is she, Bobbing? I'll take you to her. When Charlie loosens his grip, Bobbick fixes the lapel on his own white jacket. First, I make a phone call. He grabs a knife from the desk, but Charlie grabs his hand and forces him back into the chair. You're not very bright, Bobbick. Very well. She's here, safe. Her husband arranged for two Argentine passports. After the board of Viasco, I took her in. You still have the passports? Yes. They are beautiful. And the way out of Mexico? Also beautiful. But it will cost money. How much? $20,000. But it is foolproof. I'd send my own mother that way. You probably have. I'll be using those passports. You? For yourself? I want them tomorrow night. Money? Half tomorrow night. Half when you get us into Buenos Aires. Don't argue, Bobby. I'm not in the mood. Now take me to her. Charlie pulls him up and turns him to lead him out of the office. Soon after, Charlie steps into another room. Closing the door, he stands with his back to it. Hello, Amanda. Charlie. She stands and approaches him. They embrace tightly, then kiss passionately. They hold each other. She gazes at him. You thought I'd left you. You think I wanted to go with Paul? Charlie threatened to tell the police. Money gave him a feeling of power. Dreams of a new life. Me. But he didn't make it. But we will, Linda. I think it'll be all right. My share of the money will be handed me tomorrow. In 24 hours, we'll be halfway to Argentina. We'll be together, Linda. Two of us. Charlie, the two They kiss again. The next day at the Tijuana station. Charlie. Yeah. I was just going to look for you. Oh, what's that? We just got a call from Cabot, Leighton Prince. We've got an ID on Sloan. Oh. Old Doc Sloan. His real name was Paul Bruckner. Lived in San Francisco. Married to a Mexican girl named Linda. He was legitimate, too, until he was kicked out for malpractice. You're creeping up on him. Once you've got a man's right name, he quits being a shadow. What's the next step? We dig into Bruckner's life in San Francisco. What tonsils he took out. What babies he delivered, how he lost his license. Charlie glances to a corner of the room. I asked coffee, Joe? Me? Oh, thanks. I'm stimulated enough. Besides, I had to drink your beer, too, last night. Last night? Pouring coffee. He sets the pot down. I, I went right to my room. And checks his watch. So I better get going. I've got to meet Ruth at the border. When does she do? Five o'clock. I'll go with you. That's all right, Joe. I manage. Thanks. Sure you can. But I don't want to miss seeing Ruth's face when she finally gets to Mexico. Charlie smiles nervously, <laughs> and they leave together. Later, Charlie pulls up to a hotel with Ruth beside him in a convertible. Joe parks next to them in the police car. Charlie gets out and steps to the trunk as Ruth and Joe get out, too. 
Charlie unlocks and opens the trunk full of luggage. Here, 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 wait a minute. Let me help you. Joe takes out the case of money with a larger suitcase. <laughs> looks like you're going away for ten years. Yes, it looks like it, doesn't it? <laughs> Joe and Ruth walk off to the hotel. Later, alone, Charlie runs his fingers on the case as Ruth sits on the bed with her head down. He steps away from the case, which sits on another bed, and goes to a window, then turns from it. Shall we unpack now? No, I ain't one we'll be left to dinner. Whenever you say, Charlie, I'm tired. Very tired. Why don't you take a nap for an hour or so? Well, what'll you be doing? Why? Oh, thought I'd go over these annual reports. Why? you deserved that job for Mexico City. Changed my mind. He steps around to the case and sits on the bed. I think I'll do it now. He unlocks it. I was going to surprise you to take along your fishing gear. Put it in there. So I had a key made and I opened the case. He looks up. Then struggles to keep unlocking. It was to be a surprise. A joke something to laugh about. Opening it, he finds just magazines and papers. He rifles through them in an expandable pocket, then overturns everything. He stares at Ruth. What'd you do with the money? He stands and approaches her. I mailed it to Mr. Hendricks. No return address. He grabs her arms. Crazy fool, you know what you've done, do you? you do it? Why? Why? What does it matter? I killed a man to protect that money. He releases her, and she stares at him. Then you'll have to kill me, won't you, Charlie? He stares back at her. What do you want from me? A few hours. Just a few hours. She turns away, sadly. I was willing to give you my whole life. What's a few hours? softening. He steps away. She stands. Charlie, don't tell me. She holds him from behind. Let me touch you. Let me talk to you. He remains with his back to her. Nothing to say. But there's so much to say. Please. At least tell me what we were going to do. We weren't going to do anything. I was going to leave you. I loved you, Charlie. Wasn't that enough? Once it was. Where did I fail you? Didn't fail. People change, Ruth. She shuts her eyes. Charlie. We had so much, Charlie. Why? Why? The house becomes a prisoner job a trap what did you want a new kind of life the kind that two hundred thousand dollars could have bought me alone he nods alone 
But you can't have that now. No, you fix that. Charlie, if you went to them, if, if you said I did it, I'm sorry you're getting the money back. Charlie, I'd, I'd wait. I have the strength. I have the patience. I'd wait no matter how long. He turns to her. There isn't time enough in all eternity, Ruth. I killed a man. You couldn't wait for me. watches him. In the hotel lobby, a man whispers into his ear. Then Joe arrives. Hey, Charlie, wait a minute. With the lieutenant. We got some more on Bruckner. What? Lieutenant Castro checked it for me. A hunch, but he paid off. Bruckner was married here in Tijuana seven years ago to a singer in a club named uh, Linda Alvarez. Where was that club? In Aguacaliente, but they went out of business. Did she uh, sing anyplace else? Perhaps. It won't take long to find out. There are a few secrets in Tijuana. Well, I've got to go. I've got to get some things for Ruth. No. No. Not until you have a drink with me. Or did you have too much to drink last night? One of my men saw the car parked right next to Bobbix last night. Joe turns to Charlie. Police cars attract an awful lot of attention in that district. I stopped for a drink on my way back from the airport. It wasn't the drink you stopped for. You probably heard about the dancer they have there. She's pretty nice, huh? Yeah. Yeah, she's very... Charlie checks his watch. I, I've got to run. I'll see you later. Charlie leaves. A very impatient man. Bobbix is hardly the place for a tourist. Or is your friend trying to combine business with pleasure? Maybe. Joe walks off. And soon after, Ruth stares out a window of her room. She turns from it. Who is it? It's Joe, Ruth. Can I come in? Oh, wait a minute. She crosses the room to the door, but checks herself in a mirror first, preparing herself. Come in. As Joe enters, she averts her gaze. He sets down his hat and turns to her. With his hands in his pockets, he approaches her. Anything wrong? Oh, no, of course not. Why? She steps away from him. But he follows. Oh, I don't know. You and Charlie, you both seem a bit edgy. Sure everything's all right. I just told you, everything is fine. Why shouldn't it be? Joe turns her toward him. Ruth, I've known you a long time. You don't lie very well. What do you mean? Is Charlie in any trouble? Why don't you stop being a cop? You make a case out of everything. Ruth, you're making one out of this. Well, there's no trouble. Unless a few words between husband and wife. She steps away again. Sometimes Charlie flies off. We just had a argument, that's all. <laughs> How can anybody argue with you? 
Or maybe I'm just prejudiced. She turns to him. Well, who knows better than you? Charlie's been under a lot of strain. Sure, every case is an ulcer. But in this one, the way our Charlie's been riding himself... Maybe it interfered with his holiday. He promised it to himself and to me. A real fiesta. The way a kid looks forward to a birthday party. Joe picks up one of the magazines. He's just overworked. He's been edgy for months. Ever since Hendrix sent him up to San Francisco. Joe looks at her, thinking then goes through more of the magazines. Well, I hadn't read them. I expected to on the plane. It's a long trip to Mexico City. He sets them down. Yeah. Long trip. All of six hours. Enough reading for a year. Reaching into his pocket, he gets out his notebook which he opens and reads. He picks up the phone. Operator, I want to speak to Mr. Sam Hendricks, Victoria 9, 4, 9, 0, 1, Burbank, California. He closes the notebook. That's right. All right away? Good. She almost says something, but keeps staring ahead, forlorn. Hello, Hendricks. Armstrong. Yeah, from Tijuana. Oh, fine, fine. Look, Hendricks, uh, Charlie was on a case several months ago up in San Francisco. Can you give me any dope on it? I'll, uh, I'll explain later. Yes, I'll wait. You know, people on the plane are choosy. They like to read things that are bright. Take their mind off the possibility of a crash. Uh, repeat that. A phony accident claim. Eight months ago, huh? Yeah. A doctor? Who? Joe takes a breath. Dr. Paul Bruckner, huh? Thank you. Joe hangs up. Take their mind off. Crash. She turns into Joe's arms. I'm sorry, Ruth. He steps away from her. Later at night, Charlie speeds up to Bobbick's in the convertible. Oblivious to a policeman standing outside, he hurries into Bobbick's office. Where's all planned? I changed my mind. I don't want to go to Buenos Aires direct. I want to go to Acapulco by boat. I'll pay you more for the passports. How much more? Five thousand. Well enough. Twenty-five thousand dollars, payable now. You get everything. Passports, birth certificates, everything. What about passage south? See Alfredo Rodriguez, Casa del Norte, Rosarita Beach. You tell him Bobbick sent him a fisherman. He will understand. What will he charge? What does it matter? A few hundred dollars, maybe five, six hundred, who knows? It's cheap. Now, you got the money? If you've got the passports. <laughs> I'll tell you, you tell me. Children. 
Opening a drawer, he takes out the passports and holds them out of Charlie's reach. Money. From under his jacket, Charlie gets the bundle of money. And as the passports are given, he reaches under his jacket again for his gun. Leave the money, Bobak. Charlie grabs the money as Bobak hurries to hide behind his chair, but is shot. Charlie runs out of the office, climbing over a rail to Linda's room, where she packs. He helps her into a coat, and they rush out, going through the bar. The bartender tries to block them, but Charlie shoves him down and they head for the front doors. They open one, but pause. They go to a side door. While outside, a police car pulls up, followed by another. Officers get out. In a side alley, Charlie and Linda go through a lattice gate and spot Joe and Ruth getting out of the second car. Ruth looks toward the club. Charlie! Get the car, we can't make it. They run in another direction, behind the building, out front. Take that car and block off the other side of the street. Da la vuelta la manzana y cierrales el paso. Y llama a la jefatura que traigan más coches. Castro and Ruth run to the first car, while Joe and other officers go to the second. Charlie and Linda run along another dark street. One of the cars starts to catch up, with Joe riding in the back. Charlie and Linda run around a corner and down another street. Pausing under a street lamp, they head down another street. The first car follows, going around the corner. Ruth rides as Castro drives. Holding Linda and his gun, Charlie hides in an alcove, and they run off, past pedestrians. Near the end of the street, they stop when one of the police cars comes toward them. When it stops, they turn and run the way they came. Castro aims his gun at them. Ruth stops him and struggles for the gun. Charlie and Linda run into a park. As they stop in some bushes, Charlie fires out. Then they run on. On another street, they reach an outdoor market where Joe's car pulls up. Charlie shoots toward it then runs with Linda through the market and around the side. Joe, Castro, and Ruth meet out front. Some officers spread out while the rest run through the market. Castro runs along Charlie and Linda's path. Joe runs along the other side of the market building as Charlie and Linda reach the back and duck inside. They run upstairs. An officer runs up another set. Charlie and Linda run along catwalks outside taller buildings. Castro reaches where they entered the market building and goes up the stairs. As the couple keeps running on the catwalks, Joe reaches the top of the other set of stairs. Charlie and Linda stop when they're blocked by Joe and the officer, who trade shots with Charlie. Then they duck into a doorway. Charlie and Linda run off the way they came. But soon they find that block, too, and run back. Castro fires, but is shot. As Ruth and others watch from below, Charlie and Linda run across another catwalk, and Charlie shoots another officer. But more police arrive down in the street. They all watch Charlie help Linda up a ladder, and an officer on the ground aims. Linda collapses in Charlie's arms, and he lays her down. 
holding her. He looks at blood in his hand. He lowers her to the floor. Charlie. Charlie. Looking back, he runs at Joe, who fires. Charlie collapses onto a railing and falls. Ruth's mouth falls open, and she shuts her eyes, burying her head in her hands as Joe holds Charlie, who looks up at him. Joe. Joe loosens his friend's tie and collar. Charlie smiles weakly. This wasn't on the timetable either. The smile fades, and Charlie dies. The End a Mark Stevens production. This described version of Timetable was produced for Movies for the Blind. And that was Timetable. Indeed, that was a Mark Stevens production. And our star's ventures as a producer and music publisher were successful enough to get him to retire from acting. He would appear in The Odd Thing over the years, but he was content to live out most of the rest of his life in Europe, writing novels and even running a restaurant in Spain before dying of cancer in the 90s at the age of 77. No preview for the next film, but I can tell you it stars a guy who said, among many other things, everything is changing, people are taking the comedians seriously and the politicians as a joke. And he said that more than 80 years ago. The great American humorist Will Rogers is on deck next week. To find out more about the movies, about description, and how to subscribe, go to the blog, moviesfortheblind.com, where you can also find out about this podcast, Creative Commons License. Also, check out the Movies for the Blind page on Facebook and the channel on YouTube. The movies are from the Internet Archive, so please support universal access to human knowledge by visiting and donating at archive.org. Thank you for downloading and for listening. Be back next week. Take care.